this week on the Faculty Factory Podcast. As faculty affairs and development professionals, we need to get out of our offices sometimes. So, you know, in addition to some formal meetings and mentoring meetings that I have with faculty, I go to their office or vice versa. I also float around campus. I walk around campus, listen to our faculty, and these informal interactions are valuable. They can kind of inform us, hey, what do we need a lecture on this or should the faculty development workshop focus on one or two topics that we didn't hit, you know, hot topics like faculty burnout. So I I do like getting out on campus and just informally maybe mingling and seeing what's what's kind of on the minds of faculty. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. This is Kim Skorupski. And on today's episode, we are talking with Dr. Zuber Mola. He is a professor at the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Assistant Dean in the Office of Faculty Development at the Paul L. Foster School of Medicine in El Paso, Texas. Zuber, how are you doing there in Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center? Doing well. Thank you, Kim. Thanks for this opportunity. What's it like down there in Texas in uh, January 2020? I live here and work on the border of Mexico and in beautiful, sunny El Paso. So it's nice and sunny today, probably high in the 60s. And I've had the pleasure and honor of calling El Paso home for about 17 years, over 17 years now. So Zubair, please share with us your story. You know, people love to hear about how people found themselves, especially someone like you, um, PhD, CPH, FACE professor. What in the world? How did you find yourself doing faculty development stuff? That's a great question. So when I look back on my career in, in epidemiology and academic medicine, I think all along I was training for a position in faculty development. I didn't even know it. And I'll explain a little bit. I'm an an epidemiologist by training, uh, specialized in women's health right now. And as you know, epidemiologists are quite collaborative. We're able to speak to people, say, like computer scientists, engineers, biostatisticians, faculty. So I was collaborating and setting up what would be the skill set I would need as a faculty development professional some years ago. I started my career back in... 1994 as an epidemiologist working in childhood cancer epidemiology in Tampa, Tampa, Florida. And then I moved to Orlando, Florida, where I worked as a field epidemiologist. And now for about the last 17, 17 and a half years, I've been living here in El Paso as an academic epidemiologist. I spent some time as faculty at the El Paso regional campus of the University of Texas, Houston School of Public Health. And then 2006, I moved down the street, down the interstate, to another state university here at Texas Tech and joined the medical school's faculty. And for many years, for, for I guess maybe 10 years, I was regular average faculty member, 100% time in obstetrics and gynecology, doing my own research, mentoring faculty, collaborating. And then I got this great opportunity in 2016 my supervisor and mentor, Dr. Sonia Kupasek, who is the associate dean for faculty development, she and our medical school's dean, Dr. Richard Lang, both thought I would be a good fit to fill this position of assistant dean. And that's what happened uh, almost four years ago. I've been thrilled to be here learning and serving ever since then. 
Okay, so that is wonderful. But hold, um, hold the phone here. They just mm-hmm. plucked you out of um, the department because of what? I mean, clearly in those 10 years, you mentioned you were doing some mentoring, but what made, I'm sure a lot of faculty were doing, you know, mentoring. What made you stand out? Did you, were you proactive and in making some kind of statement or being involved on certain kind of committees or being, you know, um, an activist, if you will, or what, what were you doing that made you um, come to the the attention of the associate dean and your dean? That's a great question. So uh, I'm pretty sociable here on campus, meaning I, I like to visit other faculty. And when I arrived here on campus in, um, let's see, 2006, uh, we were mainly a teaching clinical service campus. There weren't many PhDs or DRPHs on campus. So I started collaborating with all sorts of faculty and working with, say, a GI faculty member in the Department of Medicine, then maybe publish on burnout with psychiatry. And even though I was 100% in OBGYN, Kim, my chair of OBGYN was very collaborative too, and he encouraged these linkages. So I think as the years went by, people thought, hmm, this this guy Zubair, he seems to work well with others. And when an, when the opening came up for the assistant dean position, everything it just everything aligned. And a little tidbit: my associate dean, who's my chief, she's also a faculty member in OBGYN. So I think she had seen me over the years cultivating the spirit of collaboration and maybe taking junior clinical faculty under my wing and showing them how to publish. And so she's a uh, physician scientist. She's an MD, PhD, my associate dean, Sonia Kupasik. So I think I was just in the right place, right time, and the right people noticed yeah, what I was I doing. That, so. that you're reinforcing this idea, Zubair, that we, we try to teach our faculty members that, you know, as leaders, people are watching you. And a lot of faculty may think that, well, I'm not a leader. I'm, I'm an assistant professor or I'm an associate professor just doing my, you know, academic epidemiology, you know, skipping mm-hmm. down the lane. No one's watching me. No one's paying attention to me. But what you've just pointed out or illustrated so you know, nicely and very cleanly is that you were doing what you were passionate about, what you loved, and people were watching you. People noticed. So yes, it's, it was a coincidence that your department, you know, head or chair was the associate mm-hmm. dean. So she had a closer, you know, connection with you. But I think, you know, the message I'm getting from you is that we have to be mindful and be aware of the fact that even if we feel like we're not doing anything extraordinary, people are watching us. And I loved how you said that cultivating a spirit of collaboration, that is a gift of yours, clearly a strength, and you're outgoing and extroverted. But um, people, people notice and people watch. So that's a lesson I think everybody out there can pay attention to, even if you think, well, I'm, you know, I'm invisible. No one's paying attention to me. Oh, contraire. People are, people are mindful of what you're doing and people talk about other people's generosity and collegiality and, and, and being, you know, authentic. So pe- people, you know, word spread. So clearly, uh, word spread about you. And, um, that's the first important lesson. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. In fact, I, if I, had someone had come from the future and said, hey, you know, Zubair, some years from now, you'll be part of the medical school's leadership team. I would have thought, no, no, you know, I, I don't have an MBA. I never took an accounting class. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with conflict resolution, you know, all these things. But 
and I think we all have a skill set. So I think for maybe any of the junior faculty listening, there's always there's always a way to develop, grow, and and learn. And also, you know, people yeah should aspire to champion others and mentor, and that can lead to a leadership position that's fulfilling, rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, love it. So, what does your office look like? So, when you, when you said you were you know hit up for this position, um, had the Office of Faculty Development had it been around for a while, or was this the El Paso branch a new um, OFD that kind of blossomed? That's a great question. So, for many years, Texas Tech here in El Paso was a, a regional campus of Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center based in Lubbock. Some years ago, we we split off. We're still part of the same university system. We have, but we have our own president. Some years ago, our medical school had one office. It was the Office of Faculty Affairs and Development. That split into two groups. And by the time I joined, uh, it was already two different units. And I joined the latter unit, the Office of Faculty Development. Our group uh, is mainly is concerned with several things. We Our signature offering is our annual institutional faculty development course, which runs from November to about May of every year. In faculty development, we also administer the faculty mentoring program, customize faculty development uh, initiatives, etc. Our Office of Faculty Affairs handles other duties such as onboarding, paperwork dealing with tenure and promotion, and, and a few other duties. So I'm with faculty development. We're a small but amazing group, if I may say. We have four staff members, four professional staff members, and then two faculty members, myself, and then Sonia Kupesik, who I mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Even though we're housed in the medical school, Kim, our Office of Faculty Development now serves all four sister schools here at our Health Sciences Center. So that's the nursing school, medical school, graduate school, biomedical sciences, and then the new kid on the block is a dental school. So yeah. tell tell me um, something that your office does that's you know unique or different, or what is something that you want to share with um, the listening audience? Thank you, Kim. That's a great question also. So as you've heard, I have this passion for epidemiology and especially clinical epi health services research. And I've made this career of mining or analyzing large health data sets. And over the years, my supervisor, the associate dean, Dr. Kapasik, she saw me publishing on these statewide data sets, databases. She's aware of my interests, and she had a great suggestion, Kim. A few years ago, she said, why don't we gather, create a repository of publicly available Texas hospital data and use this to develop our faculty here on campus? And that was her idea, and it was great. So using the expertise of our staff members, we have several analysts here in the Office of Faculty Development who are computer science experts. We spent the last few years amassing several years' worth of free, publicly available inpatient and outpatient Texas hospital data. So millions of records. Let's say, Kim, you're a junior faculty member and you're maybe a little intimidated about publishing. Maybe you've come over from uh, the private practice side. Now you're full-time faculty Maybe to get your foot wet into scholarship, you could uh, consult us and we would help you using some ICD-9, ICD-10 codes, publish with you and mentor you over a period of one or two years and get a paper out in the peer-reviewed literature. So that's one thing we've come up with and found some success that our team here in faculty development has been able to guide several 
physician faculty is to analyze some of this data set, these data sets. Wow. Wow. Now, what kind of a uh, financial investment did that um, take and how much time? Because I'm, I'm just an, imagining that must have been a huge lift to get all those quantitative IT systems operations folks to build that. So are you saying you don't have Epic? No. So uh, so this is actually outside of the EMR. These are actually some data sets, some of which you can uh, download right now. If you just go to the Texas Department of State Health Services website, our state health department, some of the older years worth of, say, Texas inpatient data are freely available. You just have to click on a few data user agreements and what we did, though, using that and also filling out some forms to the state health department requesting data sets on CDs, compact discs, no cost to us. So it's free since we're a state university. The cost actually came in is with the, the computer analyst time. So we have two full-time master's level computer scientists here in the Office of Faculty Development. Their office is just right next door to mine. And they're great, Eduardo and Marco, and they both have master's degrees. So it's their time kind of downloading the data, importing it. And then when someone on campus, say a nursing faculty member or medical school faculty member says, hey, you know, I'm interested in congestive heart failure and length of stay and health disparities, they'll contact all of us. And so it's more personnel time in my time then. And then maybe I'll take that faculty member under my wing and as a team, uh, faculty and staff, support staff, we work on a paper, and that faculty member gets to publish as the first author, corresponding author. Oh, my gosh. And so the, the, yeah, so it's, uh, by and large, it's more the, the investment of time. Oh, my gosh. Your which, of course, must cost. be absolutely <laughs> thrilled with that. And the faculty must be like, are you kidding me? This this is there? I can do that? There's a be people who will help me do this? I <laughs> I can't imagine thank that your you. faculty must their their heads must like just explode when they learn about this. Well, thank you for the kind words. We also we can't do it alone. So there's another group on campus known as the Biostatistics and Epidemiology Consulting Lab, the BECL or Beckel. And sometimes if we're kind of booked up for a few months, we'll tell the faculty member, "Hey, here's the chunk of data you needed. You wanted like three years worth of data on children who are hospitalized with some condition." And we're going to refer you to our colleagues next door in the Biostats Epi Consulting Lab, and they'll also help. But we we also try to mentor and 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 develop certain faculty. But again, it, it's it's hard when you have just two of us, two faculty members, and a couple of support staff. So, so we'd love to have more FTEs. <laughs> yeah, but wow, you have Eduardo and Marco. God bless Eduardo and yes. Marco. Yes. I don't even know yes. them, but I love them already. And yes. so. So is, is like, I here I am thinking of my, putting my scientist hat on too. Is the IRB mm-hmm. already approved for these secondary data analyses? Or does each faculty member then, does the train have to be backed up to, now you have to go through IRB? Initially, we were telling our mentees, go ahead, submit this to the IRB. But as you mentioned, it's secondary data analysis, largely scrubbed of PHI, and so it was good practice for the faculty mentee to put together an application, use our web tool known as IRIS that we use to interface with the IRB. And then usually, like you said, it would, the IRB would come back and say, hey, you're exempt from formal review. This is a publicly available data set. 
And so nowadays, our, some of the rules have changed here for the IRB on campus, and our faculty don't have to submit these type of proposals for uh, these data sets. But, but yeah, for the first few years, we it was a good exercise also, because as you know, you go to publish sometimes, the journal would say, hey, can you upload your IRB approval letter slash exemption letter? And so... Uh, if the IRB had said, declined a review or said this was exempt, at least our mentee had a, a letter on official letterhead. Yeah. But it's it's pretty streamlined now for some for for these data sets. Again, they have their limitations. I I sometimes meet a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed faculty member in the hall, and they're like, "Hey, I heard you have several years worth of inpatient data. I've never used these administrative data sets, but can I maybe work this weekend and get a paper out?" And I have to tell them, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're not collecting data, you're not cracking open charts or looking at the EMR. It does take time and months. So some of our faculty who haven't published, they, we just, you know, tell them the reality that it might take months and months to actually analyze the data, write it up, as you know. And, um, there's, you know, limitations with some of these publicly available data sets. For example, one, one issue is they, there's no unique identifier. So, uh, you're, you're, for example, you're in a department of internal medicine. You might be interested in, say, congestive heart failure. We don't know if John Doe, for example, was hospitalized 10 times in one year and shows up in your data set because on the public data side, there's no unique identifier. Yep. If a faculty member costs up some money and gets, like I say, a seed grant, the health department here in Texas with the uh, requisite IRB approvals at the health department level and local level, they'll let you have a unique identifier, and then you can kind of unduplicate and say, gosh, you know, do I use some, you know, more fancy methods like GEE or right. mixed models to account for that repeated measurement. But by and large, it, it does take some training of our faculty, uh, but it's exciting. You know, they, they like their, their eyes light up. They maybe were intimidated initially about data and research, and now they're warming up to it and, and, and getting ready for the next project. Well, it's got to be easy, an easy way to grow that kind of a culture when somebody's doing it, and that enthusiasm is contagious. And when mm-hmm. colleagues see other colleagues uh, getting abstracts and papers out the door and developing other projects and probably building interdisciplinary collaborations with other investigators, I'm sure that is... Uh, contagious. So I, and I imagine you probably have, you're certainly keeping the data on how many products are resulting from this endeavor, but do you have like an annual events celebration or some kind of a, you know, research fair or festival where you're, festival, I guess we don't have festivals. We should have festivals. <laughs> uh, um, we should. <laughs> I mean, do you have, do you celebrate, you know, these products and um, raise a profile and visibility of all this work? Faculty development doesn't host a research symposium or fair, but there is a campus research symposium. And so in the last few years, when we've mined this Texas public use data file, individually our faculty mentees have picked maybe journals in their area. And with with our guidance uh, and uh, guidance of others, we've submitted to, uh, say, uh, other meetings, like maybe in the in the pediatrics realm, I think we had one mentee. She presented her data uh, at the uh, SPER Society for uh, Pediatric Perinatal Epi Research a few years ago. So we'd use the Texas Hospital data 
to look at girls who had ovarian torsion, the surgical emer- emergency where the ovary has twisted, painful. And so we use this Texas hospital data to see, is there a difference in outcome if, if these patients, these pediatric patients presented to a teaching hospital in Texas versus a community hospital, who's more likely to have, say, certain out- endpoints? So we're excited to say that faculty member, that pediatrician, took that poster and abstract to a to a, a, a pediatric epidemiology meeting, and then eventually the paper was published in a hospital uh, hospitalist journal for ped- pediatricians. Awesome. Wow. So you've definitely built... See, this, this is a great example of how the diversity in the space of faculty development is another, I think, something that... Another feature that makes us in faculty development and faculty affairs so unique because we're not... For example, um, accountants or bookkeepers. So we're all trained in this model of accounting and this software. We come from every facet of academia. And I think you're the first epidemiologist we've had um, on the Faculty Factory podcast. And, and this is a complete, um, it's just so obvious that your, your thumbprint is on this model of how you built your whole career of working with large scale epidemiologic data sets and now taking that something that was so familiar to you and comfortable to you and moving this into building a culture of research and research mentoring and providing these data and putting the resources together with Eduardo and Marco. And gosh, what, um, again, I, I think that your faculty must be thrilled. And, and it kind of cracked me up a little bit when you say you'll run into a faculty member that go, hey, this week I don't want to <laughs> knock off a paper. And that, yep, that yeah. in and of itself is making them go, oh, let's hold on here. Let's maybe not be, <laughs> wait, hang on, Tiger. It takes a little bit more than that. That's right. But, but That's that, right. that information and that, that knowledge, and again, that enthusiasm, I'm sure is, uh, is one of, it's a gem, I'm sure, in your office over there. I love working here, Kim. You know, I'm blessed with great coworkers. And again, our leader, Sonia Kupasik, Dr. Kupasik, the OBGYN, who's the associate dean, she's the one that comes up with these great ideas, does the work of, I think, three people, and she has organized this team of, um, we have Connie, who's our staff administrator, system director, and then the two lead analysts I mentioned, Eduardo and Marco, and then our latest team member, we hired an, uh, an analyst level two, and her name is Nadia, and she just joined a few weeks ago. So, so when you say what we're trying to do now is what you... Yeah, what's Nadia yeah. doing? You mean like a, a, stat, a biostatistician or a statistician analyst? I, uh, actually, you know, I think that's maybe a term our state university uses in a broad way. So she she's doing some administrative functions, but she's going to help us track some of the productivity. Like you mentioned right now that, you know, the a push in our field as faculty affairs and development professionals is what's the bang for the buck? Are you making impact and uh, are your faculty better teachers, scholars, clinicians? So... Nadia was hired, and she's going to work along with our other staff members in our office, and we're going to try to track some of the impact of faculty development programs. Like, mm-hmm. we're trying to design some studies. Of course, they're observational since we can't randomize folks to, you know, I'm going to force you to take faculty development classes and some mm-hmm. not. So we're, going to, we're, we're planning some studies to look at the effectiveness of our program, and uh, Nadia, Eduardo, and Marco are going to help us with that. So we're trying to enter data in, in our REDCap database, track productivity, time to promotion, time to grant, and, and maybe compare that 
cohort of individuals over the years who have participated in either our mentoring program or development mm-hmm. faculty development course versus a comparison group who have not availed themselves of these. So, um, yeah, I'm also curious maybe, and like in your office, are you able to kind of track some of these things, like maybe for LCME and like, um, again, I'm just, I'm still learning. I'm, I'm still new to faculty development. Again, it'll be maybe four years uh, this March. So we just, you know, we need to quantify our success and, you know, so I'm, I'm learning too. Yeah. I mean, I'm just super impressed that since like 16, 2016, you were able to build this, make it happen, implement it and you know people are doing it and that that is that's that's a tremendous um lift i just can't imagine that's just huge to me getting data and so but it's clear to me how you're able to do it because again that's how your your brain works and that's how um that's where you came from so you weren't necessarily as intimidated by that as somebody else who might have been like you want me to what you want us to take all what all these data and put them where and then do what with them? That's you know that's huge. But yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. the question about the scholarship that you know on the research and scholarship committee of the group on faculty affairs, our job is to keep research and scholarship foremost in our minds because we do, as you mentioned, Zubair, we want to demonstrate return on investment. It's very important that we. Doc, be able to document the, our value and what are the out, measurable outcomes that um, we can show to our deans and our boards of directors to uh, advocate for the investment in the programs and policies and the resources and everything that we offer to our faculty. And 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 there, therein lies the the rub, as you mentioned, just you know perfectly. We can't do randomized controlled trials. We can't randomize people to have this great resource and nobody else can do it. And then you add all the complexity of getting faculty to drink the water, you know, leaving them there. But it's not as if our faculty are sitting on, you know, little hills of green, green grass and contemplating life and, uh, interesting new experiments and, and thinking deeply and wandering around in there and, you know, having luxury of time, our, our faculty are pressed more than ever. And so you have to think about getting, delivering content and doing programming and helping them in efficient ways and multiple different ways. And so we have an added complexity to um, those of us who are used to doing traditional science and traditional applied science and epidemiology. So it, it's not easy, but we have to do it and we have to figure out ways to uh, go beyond just the smile sheets of, uh, you know, just outputs. We can't just measure how many hours of content we delivered and how many people came and how many of them mm-hmm. thought the room was nice and the, the beverages were, were delicious and the appetizers were wonderful. We can't, we have to go beyond those simplistic measures of outputs and demonstrate real changes in knowledge or attitudes or skills or behaviors or changes in condition or status. And, and real impact with real indicators. And that is, you know, you're, you're right in your thinking, Zubair. It, it's, it's not easy and it's different at every place and it takes time. And when you're so busy, all of us in faculty development running from issue to issue to topic to topic to crises, it's hard, just like our faculty, it's hard to stop and think carefully about a great study design and how are we going to do this? And 
how are we going to collect the data and how are we going to have a comparison group? That stuff takes time and effort. So we constantly, I feel like, walk that fine line between trying to do is the best that we can to help our best faculty do their very best. But we're all doing that with no little to no resources. So yeah, there's no there's no easy answer for that. But that's something we all have to push ourselves and be mindful of. It's not enough to do things just because we think it'll have an impact or we think our faculty like it or we think, you know, it's, you know, it's doing good. We, we have to find ways to measure it. And, and it's not fast either. We can't just say, okay, after one year, you know, faculty are mm-hmm. great. They're doing great. It's sometimes it, because people don't get promoted in, in a minute or mm-hmm. a year or people don't get the grant in six months after taking our classes and courses. So it's, it's a tough nut to crack. I agree. Yeah, well said. And just, I was just, uh, as you were talking, like thinking about some of the other things I've learned the last few years here is that as faculty affairs and development professionals, we, we need to get out of our offices sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in addition to some formal meetings and mentoring meetings that I have with faculty, I go to their office or vice versa. I also float around campus. I walk around campus, listen to our faculty, and these informal interactions are valuable. They can kind of inform us hey, what do we need a lecture on this or should the faculty development workshop focus on one or two topics that we didn't hit, you know, hot topics like faculty burnout. So I, I do like getting out on campus and just informally maybe mingling and seeing what's yeah. uh, well, what's kind of uh, on the minds of faculty. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're speaking, you know, you're speaking to my my language. I'm also an extrovert, so I imagine some introverts are out there rolling their eyes and you know, going up with their mouths <laughs> a little bit right now. But yeah. to, to us, that that is very natural. That you and I and others like us, we do that. You know, what was the old way old saying of management by walking around? That I too love going to faculty senate meetings and advisory meetings and promotion committee meetings and. Any place where faculty gather and just sitting there in the back of the room sometimes, even just to hear the questions they're asking, to watch mm-hmm. them. I'm not like an old-fashioned people watcher. What are they mm-hmm. doing? What are they doing it on? You know, how what devices are they using? What apps are they using? Not that I'm like totally like peeking on people, but it's so <laughs> important to me to kind of make sure I'm trying to keep my finger on the pulse of yeah, what are they talking about? What are they gossiping about? What are they whispering to each other about? What are they, do they have a semblance of community and engagement with each other? Or all they, are they isolated and sitting by themselves? And when it comes time for Q&A, what, what are they asking? And how many heads are nodding when those questions are asked? Or how many eyebrows are raised in, like, are you kidding me when a, a speaker says something? So, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're right. And I'm totally with you on that. You're not going to get that vibe or pick up on that pulse when you're just hunker down in your own space and in your own place. And even walking from room to room and building to building, you know, sidewalk to sidewalk, instead of having your head down, buried, you know, watching and just looking. I, I learn a lot from what I don't, I, what I don't know. I real I learned so much just by watching them. And I think it's so important as, People like me, you know, as opposed to you, I've been around this game for a while now, going on mm-hmm. 12, 13 years, and mm-hmm. I'm aging. I'm aging out of this, you know, the newer generation. So it's even more mm-hmm. important for me uh, and those of us in my generation to be aware of the fact that 
younger our, our young our younger faculty um, are thinking differently. They learn differently. They were taught differently. They have different expectations and different ways of being. And that's something that, you know, we have to forever be recalibrating and moving our antenna around to kind of get that and collaborating with people like you. And that's what I, you know, also appreciate with what you shared, Zubair, that this, your spirit of collaboration and collegiality and that, that instinct for you to talk with other people is what, you know, what will help you be successful because um, you are, capitalizing on the wisdom of the crowd and understanding that there are people around you who can help help us help them exactly so win-win it's a two-way street when you mentor and collaborate so mm-hmm. again thank you for your kind words as i mentioned so it's a team effort yeah. so what else are you excited about and innovative stuff or interesting stories you want to share i mean you know you're, you're doing this four years you've done a lot you're you know you have a well, unique position but yeah tell us more well it, it's a uh, so as we discussed, faculty development professionals, we need to be nimble. We need to address important topics in a timely fashion. So in that regard, our office hosts this quarterly seminar series. We call it the Need to Know Grand Rounds. And whereas topics in our annual faculty development course might have been set months in advance, as you know, you might need a year to plan the next faculty development workshop and different modules, this Need to Know series is a quarterly one-hour noon grand rounds. And if someone comes to us and says, you know, it'd really be nice if you guys talked about this issue about IRBs or faculty resilience, we'll usually try to retool and quickly in a matter of months have a workshop or grand rounds that addresses that, that important topic. In that regard, about several months ago, as you may have heard, we had this horrible mass shooting on August 3rd of last year here in El Paso at a local Walmart. And so Dr. Kupasik, my chief, she immediately started engaging partners here on campus to start working on the various workshops to address faculty resilience and wellness. And so just about two months after that mass shooting, which happened in August, the Office of Faculty Development conducted a one-hour need-to-know grand round session on dealing with faculty, maybe burnout, stress. Our Several of our faculty members were the providers of, um, they provide health care to some of the victims of the shooting. A lot of the shooting victims were brought to uh, the teaching hospital right next door at the county hospital. Mm-hmm. And so due to the creativity of Dr. Kupasik, we had this one-hour session where we work with Simulation Center here on campus the standardized patients played the role of an emergency medicine physician who had taken care of victims of the August 3rd mass shooting. And so kind of that's one way that we try to move quickly and serve our faculty. So we had this interactive session in the Sim Center of one hour where faculty members came in, interacted with the actor who was having probably, you know, trouble sleeping and, and um, flashbacks of dealing with all the victims flooding into the ED and the OR. And so we engaged our uh, uh, facilitators from the Department of Psychiatry. A lot of our facilitators are former faculty development course participants. So that, I think that's, again, one way, like, just keep your eyes open, ears open, see what we could do to help our faculty in a timely manner. That's very, very cool. Yeah, I didn't mean to end on a heavy note there, but yeah. that's, uh, I think, uh, but 
but yeah, we're always uh, willing to listen and learn. Yeah, I, I'm, it's making and, me reflect yeah. on the, the Baltimore City riots uh, that you may have heard mm. of, that we had mm-hmm. a similar, like these community town hall, halls where the same thing, it was like... Uh, a lot was happening like in the city, but not a lot at our medical campus. And some of our faculty members were like, you know, we need to talk about this. And I guess it's just that, that, you know, need to know that's a good, it's a good reminder for all of us that sometimes you just need space to gather, to convene as a group of human beings who have a shared experience, some, a traumatic experience. And, and just to be there and to to see each other and uh, a show of, of a show of, of um, you know I don't know family that you unity that we're together that we'll all have different reactions to this and it's not easy and it was painful but a, a, a space where people can um, be heard I think is just so important so that was a I love that quarterly series and so it's ongoing. Uh, correct. So it's every year we have four sessions and uh, one hour. So a lot of our attendees are indiv- individuals who are currently enrolled in that current cohort of the faculty development course, but it's open to anyone on any faculty on campus. So all of our offerings, whether it's these need to know grand round series or the faculty development course, anyone wants to drop in, even if they're not formally enrolled in our faculty development course, they're more than welcome to. Wow. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. Good for you. What else is going well, on? You. What else would you like to share with our podcast friends? Well, I wanted to thank you for being a stellar role model in this field. When I when I joined this a few years ago, my my team here said, you know, you need to start going to the GFA professional development conference in the summer that AAMC offers. And so I remember you, I think maybe that, maybe that first meeting back in 2016. So I want to thank you for your service to our profession. And, and so I'm, I'm still learning, of course. And so I just, again, people who are up and coming in our realm of faculty affairs, faculty development, I urge them to go to these meetings, workshops, avail themselves of the resources at the national level, and on, on campus, also go to various other, connect with other various groups, faculty council, faculty senate, the group on women in medicine and science. I'm a member of the WIMS group here. It's open to both men and women. And, and so stay engaged and, and keep learning. I love it. That is a, what a great commercial. Yeah, you're right. That, that annual <laughs> conference is just, yes. we should have you record uh, some commercials and send those along <laughs> okay. the links and signing up for the workshop. We got to click on this and have your endorsement. That's, you're exactly right. That's, the, you don't know what yeah. you don't know. And there's something mm-hmm. you know we don't know. But either way, you go there and you're, you won't be alone because on our campuses, there, there are like one or two, maybe three of us who get this space it's a new a newish field so people don't even know this is a field and you go there and you're going to have 200 some people like you and you're going to go oh my gosh these are my people i found my tribe and we got you we feel you we know you we understand you there's no sense in recreating wheels uh minimally somebody's done something similar so we can give you a head start on something and we really are, are a great community, the group on faculty affairs, uh, uh, helping each other out. And as everybody who knows about that, our listserv, you know, a, a listserv inquiry barely goes out. Whenever I've sent a question out, 
you know, in, in our own institutions, we'll send a survey out or a request for something and it'll sit there, you know, tick tock, tick tock. And people like, you know, they're hitting delete, delete, delete. But boy, in our community, a question goes out on that listserv and bam, I mean, instantaneously. And it's so, it feels so good to know that you got a team. Like when you're, you raise a hand, Hey, I need, need some help here. Uh, people are like, yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. So it's, it's a great community. And even if you are an introvert and you prefer to be uh, on your own, you can learn a lot and, um, and find people who, who get you and understand you. And you don't have to be a, a loud mouth like me running around and, and meeting everybody or like Zubair and, uh, <laughs> being all collaborative and extroverted in your face, but uh, there's opportunity for everybody. And no matter what you're interested in, there's expertise just so thick with expertise. We're just really, really um, deep with stuff because we're all diverse. We come from so many different backgrounds. So yeah, thanks for that um, commercial for the PDC in Portland, Oregon this year. It's going to be lovely mm, yes. and green. Indeed. I'm not sure how you're going to handle it, Dr. Mullo, though, because it will doubtlessly be uh, cooler than your uh, history of living in Tampa and Orlando and El Paso. I'm not sure you'll be able to bear it. You'll have to bring your uh, uh, yeah. winter parka, right? <laughs> That's right. Gloves. Gloves and a hat. Um, yes. Yeah, no, you, again, you've been a great role model. Uh, the, the case in point, the writing accountability groups, you started the WAG over there at Johns Hopkins. Oh. And I think uh, we started a WIG here, the Writing Interest Group, and again, we based some of the materials on what you had and, and kind of even gave you cr uh, credit at the bottom. We had some surveys <laughs> and said inspired by Dr. Skorupski's, you know, materials and WAG. So when yes. we try to launch some of these initiatives, also kind of measure and, 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 and record and publish on them. But yeah, no, thank you. You've been very generous and sharing of your knowledge. So well, that's what we, we all do this. You're, you're very kind too. Well, <laughs> thank you. This has been a great episode and another wonderful example of how people from every area of academic medicine and scholarship and training make really huge impacts. And in looking four short years, what Dr. Zubair Mola has done there in El Paso for his faculty there, and you too can do things like this. And this is um, a great example of someone who's going to be a leader of the future. And we hope you all are inspired as I am by the really cool things going on. And you could start a need to know grand rounds. You can Get an Eduardo or Marco. Don't take his, uh, don't take Zubair's Eduardo and Marco, but wow, what great resources at the Paul L. Foster School of Medicine down there at Texas Tech in El Paso. So again, that's Dr. Zubair Mullah, the professor of Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the assistant dean of Office of Faculty Development, um, the wonderful, I mean, just the academic epidemiology. I love that you are really putting the flag in the ground for we epidemiologists. I'm one of you. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a great example. And remember what uh, Dr. Mullah said, cultivating a spirit of collaboration. That is what the GFA is all about. 
So please join us in Portland. Please visit the facultyfactory.org website. You'll find your office right there on the map. You'll find some good references on literature, things that you can search by topic or name and post your own research there so we can help each other out, find some tools to um, build our own programs, evaluate our own programs, all that. So I'll let uh, Dr. Mola say goodbye to y'all, but thanks for uh, checking into the Faculty Factory podcast. Well, you gave us a few parting words, Zubair. Thank you, Kim, for this opportunity. It's an honor and pleasure. So I wish everyone well out there and have a great 2020. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.